Don't ever 
Amen. We just want to welcome you this evening to the service. Let's put it in the key of C and let's sing that song, He is here. Hallelujah, before we take uh, this prayer request to the Lord and open up the service. And He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. from Sister Connie that just reads, please pray for our son-in-law, Jason Dillingham. He's very sick. And also my sister Jean's great-grandson, uh, who is seven weeks old, has chicken pox and is very sick. So if we could just remember them in prayer. And that is all the prayer requests that I have been given. As I said, Brother Barry will be bringing more as he comes out. But just by the lifting of your hands for any unspoken prayer requests, if I could just have uh, Brother Jaron come and pray over these prayer requests. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be in your house of worship tonight, Lord. Father God, pray that you would just touch us in our spirit and in our mind, Lord, to quietness, Lord. Help us to know you, Lord. Help us to be still, Father. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts tonight in a special way, Lord. God, we pray for the special needs that have been mentioned, God, that you would just have mercy upon those that are sick or afflicted, Lord, those that are away from our assembly at this time. We pray for them, God, that you would just be merciful. They're traveling, whatever the need may be, God, that you would just bring them safely back to our assembly or to their homes. 
whatever the case may be, Lord, we know that you're there with them in this moment, God. Father, we pray for this service, Lord. We pray for our pastor or the speaker, Lord, that you would just anoint him, Lord. Lord, that you would just open our ears and our eyes, God, and just speak a word into our heart that would encourage us on our path. Lord, that you would just lift us up, God, to new heights. And Lord, we commit the rest of this service to you. In the name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats. Let's sing that song. We'll just uh, sing a couple songs here and just worship before Brother Barry comes. Let's sing that song, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Oh, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. He's
God's mercy tithes and offering. Brother Andy, if you would, just pray over them. Let's just keep it in F and let's sing that song Reach Out and Touch the Lord as Brother Barry comes this evening. So reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by and you will find He's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's not too busy to 
something in you to receive what God is saying in a particular age, right? The same message sounded out to the whole world, but they all didn't hear it. If they all heard it, they'd be here, but they never heard it. God gave you hearing that is different than natural hearing. He gave you seeing that's different than natural seeing. He gave you a heart to understand and a spirit to agree with God, and that's a wonderful thing. Just to know that we have heard the message, that brings peace, doesn't it? Let's sing it one more time now, just as your prayer this evening here, and uh, come to a place of perfect rest. It's just such a a great blessing in a very, very chaotic world. It's uh, a blessing to have a place of peace. You all, not all, most of you have a look on your face like, just been through a day, got to face another one tomorrow. But you know, to me, that's just the outside. And if you gave in to the outside, you'd probably be home with your feet up. But there's something on the inside that drives you to the tree of life. It drives you to the presence of God. And that's, to me, saints of God, that's what we should be thankful for. My flesh is not in control. My mind's not in control. My spirit's not in control. It's Christ in me that's in control of what I do and how I live. Let's sing it now one more time. Make it your prayer. All is well. 
message. Shalom and all is well. There is a place, a perfect rest behind. Father, we are grateful indeed. We can come into your presence, Lord. And I believe that even though this is a simple gathering of your people in a simple building, I believe it's a place of perfect rest. It's a place where we who are at rest can come and just sit at your feet for a while, Lord. It's a place, Lord, not like any other. Father, we know that there's no physical spot on the earth where a believer gets rest. It's something that you do on the inside of us. And so, Lord God, we're thankful not only for this little sanctuary, but, Lord, we're thankful that you made us a sanctuary. And, Lord, you've come to give us a rest from this world. And trying to, trying to make it ourselves, Lord, trying to do something that would somehow warrant or merit our way into the kingdom. Lord, you have made us accepted in the beloved, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray you'd have your way now tonight. Pour yourself out upon the word. and Lord, may you speak to our hearts. There are many needs, Lord, many requests. And so we're just going to place them into your hands tonight. Forgive us, Lord, of things that we have done that may be contrary to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, of anything that maybe we have said or done. Lord, I pray you'd look at us first through the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Lord, as we come to handle the word now in this part of the service, we just pray that you would have preeminence among us. We give you the balance of our evening and thank you for all you supply. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. If you will, take your Bible um, and I'm, I'm going to read. Uh, yeah, if you give me that there, if you don't mind. I'd like to go over into Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah, the 8th chapter here. And this has kind of become a uh, key scripture for us in relation to this subject here of the shalom and the home. We're going to Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 15. We'll come back to this again in just a moment. But in verse 14, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, saith the Lord, and I repented not. So again have I thought uh, in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear ye not. The people of Israel had offended God. God had every right to judge them. But he says, I remembered you. I didn't forget you. I remembered you. And 16, these are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor and execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Speak ye every man truth to his neighbor. The only way you'll be able to speak truth is to know truth, right? To have a revelation of what's true. And execute the judgment of truth and peace. Where? In your gates. Inside your house. In your place. 
That's where we begin to execute the judgment of truth and peace. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against your neighbor, and love no false oath, for all these things are all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. May God add his blessing. You may be seated. Now, I'm a little backward, but let me uh, give you a couple of prayer requests here, and we'll keep these in mind, and then we'll uh, join together and pray at the end of our service as well for these. Sister Emma Harwell is not here tonight. She had a, uh, a bad migraine, and so we want to remember her in prayer. Uh, the Buchanans are not here tonight. Brother Keith is away. Henry and Miles are not feeling good. They're not here tonight. Uh, we want to continue to remember Sister Tracy. I had you on, on our list here, Sister Tracy. So uh, we're praying that God will give her a complete recovery. Uh, Jeremy, John, uh, Johnny, Lincolnton, Annabelle are all gone. They're out west, Montana. And um, also as well, we are uh, remembering Ron Spencer. Brother Ron had a series of tests done last, when, last week, and I, I mentioned that to you. Uh, the, the cancer doctors, they said, are uh, you know, possibly changing some of the medication that he takes, which is hard on him. The thing that is uh, vital for us to pray for in Brother Ron's uh, situation, and this came from his family tonight, was the blood clots that he's got built up in his lungs, and that's an important thing. Um, they, they're trying to work on that, and for some reason or another, that's a little bit more challenging in his case, and probably because of the chemotherapy. But it, we know it's not too hard for God, so even though that might sound complex and difficult, it's not to God. He always, he always has an answer for us, and, and so we're thankful for that. Uh, Brother Chris is here tonight, and uh, I communicated with Sister Emily uh, this week, and uh, Jeremy about uh, Brother Rogers uh, passing again, and December 3rd, is that right? December 3rd, uh, they're going to have a little memorial out there in Utah, and he's going to be um, interred with his parents out there. So uh, we're still remembering the family here and trusting that uh, God will give them comfort in the time that comfort is certainly needed. Now, um, I wanted to uh, just take a, just a very simple thought uh, tonight here. And um, deal with this. But I wanted to show you a couple of pictures first. This week, I got a letter from, I think it was this week or last week. My days run together these days. Um, I got a letter from Delta Airlines and uh, my dear friends at Delta Airlines. And they, uh, I didn't realize that. As a matter of fact, I had just sat on the plane. I was on my way to Florida, I think it was, down to Brother Stevens. And uh, they, uh, a letter popped up on my phone there, and it said, congratulations. This is before I had taken off, so it was pretty good. And they said, congratulations, you've crossed the 2 million mile mark. Now, that's not 2 million miles with all the, all the other programs that they have, like if you have a bank card that has Delta tied to it. That's miles sitting in the seat. And uh, you think about that, that's, I think, something like 86 times around the earth. Uh, in total, and most of that, except for a shot or two over to Ireland, uh, most of that's been uh, ministry. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that boastfully at all, because that takes its toll, let me tell you. And uh, it, it's, it's a challenging thing to, to cross 2 million miles. One thing, they give you a nice sticker. They give you a, a special kind of a tag that you put on your bag. And when you go through the airport, they see that sticker and, oh, whoa, whoa. You know, whoa, 
So that's nice. They do that. Um, so they, they tend not to give you much hassle when you, when you go through it. Traveling is quite different. If you've traveled uh, on a plane since the pandemic, it's changed. If you've traveled internationally since the pandemic, it's a real challenge. I'll tell you that. It's not, it's not pleasant at all. And so uh, I say that only to say this, that, you know, when you, when you pass 2 million, uh, you know, you think, okay, maybe we could slow down a little bit and stop. But the cry gets louder. It's just amazing how um, there are people all over the world who are just now, you know, receiving things. Or uh, I've got a couple of pictures here just to show you. This is in Brother Anwar's work in Pakistan, and they've done the Church Age book and Seals book. And, and he just texted me before I came out and said, we've got Daniel 70 weeks done, and uh, it's, it's uh, ready to go now. So uh, we're good. I don't know why that's not working. But... Uh, the brothers are uh, traveling around the, uh, the world here. This is South Africa. This is uh, in Zimbabwe, in a very remote area in Zimbabwe, apparently. And uh, a lot of these places I've never heard of. I mean, some of these, some of these rural communities here. This is Zambia, where they uh, got their Bibles, new Bemba Bibles over here. And I, was, I, was, I love the picture of the brother on the left over here who got his new Bibles, pretty happy. And uh, these are folks now that are just really rejoicing. And I had a little clip of them singing again. I, I didn't get to, to play it here for you tonight. But, uh, you know, I was thinking that, you know, it would be nice at, at, uh, at 2 million miles to kind of slow down. But, man, the, the people are just so excited. And there's, there's opposition to this. There's opposition in, the, in that part of the world for people receiving their books and their Bibles. I don't, I don't understand. Have you got it there? Yeah, do you want to throw it up there? This is just a group of folks, and they're uh, just saying thank you for their Bibles here. And it's uh, Brother Davy Mwanza is out in the bush uh, traveling around in, in uh, Zambia there. And so uh, they sent this over here this morning. So I just thought I'd show it to you. I think some of you may have, may have gotten that. Just a little short clip here. Now, just before you start, Brother Mwanza, he, they'd always say, thank you, Brother Barry, for the Bibles. I had to tell him, don't. You can say thank you, but don't say thank you, Brother Barry, because there's all kinds of people who are involved in giving to this cause here. So uh, this, is, this is what they sent over. Go ahead. They're all coming out of church. They all got their, their new Bibles here. I say thank you for the Bibles. Thank you for the Bibles. May God richly bless you. May God richly bless you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. Anyway, they they are so thankful, and uh, you know, in countries like uh, in countries like, for instance, in Malawi or Zambia, right here, uh, this is. I, I I really I haven't taken time to share all of the testimonies and the conversions and the amount of baptisms that are going on. It's literally turning the country upside down. Uh, these these nations are just you know greatly affected, but what we're finding is that there's opposition to this, and this is people who are uh, for different reasons you know connected with different groups, and and it's just a shame. And last night I spent a lot of time drafting a letter over there to the ministers there, and it, you know to me it'd be it's illogical to me to for a believer in this message to oppose believers in this message giving out the message. If that was Pentecost, that'd be one thing. But believers in the message, opposing believers in the message, giving out the message, 
You figure that out. When you figure that out, let me know. I don't, I don't understand that. And, uh, you know, it's just the enemy, right? Because whenever you do a work of, for God, there's all, you can always expect the opposition. But, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things like this that go on behind the scenes. And uh, it, to me, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't deter me. It doesn't discourage me. It motivates me to get out there and get more done. And uh, so, you know, we're just, we're just really excited about that. And there are books on, on boats floating all over the place and, and uh, being delivered into different countries and different nations. So uh, it's just exciting and, uh, to see what's going on in so many different countries. And um, by God's grace, it, it, it happens, you know. So we're just, uh, there's, there's, there's just uh, so many things, I think, that God is allowing to happen in this particular work. And again, I'm not saying this for my sake. I'm saying that, you know, sometimes you just need to get the snowball rolling down over the hill a little bit and then just watch God breathe on it. And then it's not any particular individual anymore. It's, it's the work of the Lord. It's supernatural. Uh, I've never left home to deliver a book, but books are being delivered all over the world. And it's just exciting. And, belie- and believers getting their own Bibles and evangelists going out and, uh, you know, having all the equipment and the, the stuff necessary. Uh, we're packing up a shipment here. We were doing it this afternoon. Uh, we're packing up a, a shipment that weighs about a ton that's leaving here f- with all of the uh, prints and photos and pictures of Brother Branham and all of that that were printed here because we could print uh, pictures like for about 38 cents a piece and uh, had them all printed here. So we're shipping uh, through, um, uh, through uh, uh, air transport to, uh, into Africa. So, uh, you know, hopefully it'll get there very soon. But, uh, you know, it's just, just there's, there's so many different pieces, moving parts, uh, to the thing that it, it's just really an exciting thing. So uh, I, I guess you know you figure, all right, you got. The, I've, if I had that many miles on me, I ought to quit. But uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll go for three million. Not really. But we'll, whatever the Lord would would have us to do. They say that pastors don't retire; they just go out to pasture. So. All right, so we're going to retire this, I think. That's what the consensus is back there. Let's take a look at uh, this little topic here this evening. Now, again, um, just very briefly here, and I wanted to summarize a little of this here for you tonight and introduce a little element here. I think that, um, and one last thing before I I say that, uh, on Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we do not have service. Okay, so that will be next Wednesday night. We do not have service. A lot of people are traveling and moving around. Uh, we will have service, obviously, this weekend and, and uh, Thanksgiving that weekend. Now, the idea in uh, Shalom in the home is, was really spawned from this particular scripture here where uh, Zechariah, as you know, is prophesying uh, while the children of Israel are involved in this whole cycle of captivity. Uh, when they're down in Babylon. And Zechariah was one of the prophets who uh, spoke about them uh, in their, in their uh, captivity and then coming back to Israel. But his prophecies really applied, as we now know, to more of our era or our time than it did actually back in that time, although Scripture has a dual meaning. But one of the things that he says in this passage here, and if you take time to look at all of chapter 8, uh, God, God says, I was justified in judging Israel the way that I did. And, you know, I have a law. The law was violated, and I have a right to do that. But I want you to know that I remembered you. And no matter where you are, no matter what 
takes place ahead of us. No matter going forward what happens, that you and your families, you and your tribes, even if you're scattered around the face of the earth, I will remember you. And I will bring you back to the land. And then I will bless the land. I'll pour myself out upon the land. And I will do certain things in the land. I'll establish peace and I'll establish uh, Israel back and drive her enemies back and all the other things that are described. But then he says in this particular passage, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm going to do, but here's what I want you to do. And I want you to, uh, in your household, he says, I want you to uh, let fear go. Because he said, you're, you're back in the land because I brought you back in the land. Let fear go. And these are the things that you shall do. And he begins to list them here. And there's more in the chapter. But I, wanted, I, I love this, this phrase and the way he says it. To speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor and execute or govern the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. If we don't learn anything else, here's the one key that you need to learn about this series that we've done, Shalom in the Home, is that what we want to do is execute or govern our home on the basis of of truth and peace. We want to try to establish peace and maintain peace in our household. And not, not just for a season, but we want to live that way. That's the way we want to be, uh, that's the way we want to have our children grow up, in an atmosphere of peace, not in an atmosphere of strife. Not in an atmosphere of trying to evade the law. Not, not trying to, uh, you know, run from God or anything else. We want to, we want to put God first. We want to grow around Him. Uh, we want to invite His presence and keep His presence into our household, meaning that we're going to cease to do things that grieve Him away. And this is the way we want to live our lives. And we want to execute that. We want to govern that way. This is what we want to be known by. Our legacy is going to be that we governed our house a certain way. Now, part of my legacy is sitting in the audience here. Right? Part of my legacy is sitting in the audience here. And that's kind of how, that's one of the ways you know when you look at my wife and family and you look at our grandchildren, our family unit, you look at that, you get a sense of how things must have been in our household. And even though our household was not perfect because we're human, uh, you get a sense of, at least, you get a sense of where the priorities lay, where the priorities were established. We put God first. We're going to put, uh, you know, church uh, way up front here. We're going to, uh, you know, serve the Lord with all of our heart. We can do whatever we can uh, to minister, you know, the, the kingdom rules and, and to be able to spread the good news that God has given to us in this age. And so, uh, you know, that, that, is, that is part of the fruits of, of governing correctly is to see your children and your grandchildren grow and be prospered and be blessed and so forth. Uh, you remember I've told you before about... Uh, brother Marconda out in uh, California. And uh, he was a guy who owned the big vineyard and was, you know, very, very, very wealthy. These are the people that, you know, promised Brother Brandon the money and bought him, wanted to buy him Cadillacs and so forth every year. And uh, Brother uh, Marconda told Brother Brandon, he said, look around, see all that I have. He said, God has really blessed me. And, he, and he, Brother Brandon put his arm around Brother Marconda and told him, he said, listen, Brother, he said, this is wonderful what you've done. But you have this because of what your father did and the way he lived. And that's why the blessing is passed down uh, to your generation. And so uh, there, is, there are lots of benefits for governing your household uh, in truth and in peace. And so, therefore, it's a good thing for you to uh, do that and teach your children because they, they, in turn, will govern their houses that way. And then you'll enjoy your grandchildren and your grandchildren will grow up. And the process continues uh, all the way down intergenerationally. So a couple of review 
passages here that uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5 from the Jewish Bible, he says, Likewise, ye younger men of lesser rank and experience, be subject uh, to your elders and seek their counsel. And all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another or tie on the servant's apron. And this is not my words here. This is the, uh, the, the interpretation from the Jewish Bible. That you should tie on the servant's apron, for God is opposed to the proud. So what he's describing here is an attitude, isn't he? And when you have the right attitude towards God, you as a father, uh, you, as a, you as an elder, you as a, you know, a leader in your household, when you have the attitude that you're willing to tie on the apron, that this family does not exist to serve me, but rather I want to, to serve uh, the Lord in serving my family, and uh, this is a job, this is a ministry for me, this is an outlet uh, for me to serve God. If people in the household take that attitude, then God gives grace to the humble. It's always better to humble yourself before God. It's always better to submit yourself to the Word of God and be characterized by obedience. And we find as we, uh, as I mentioned to you before, because I love this, this, uh, this saying here, that uh, David writes, Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. This is all forward-looking. David's descriptions here and Solomon's description, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. This is looking forward. Children's children are the crown of old men. We're looking forward. And the reason that that can be possible is because your children should be able to pick up where you leave off. When you cease to be functional, your family should be on the platform ready to take off where you have brought them. So where you have led them is the place where they begin their ministry as well. It's just like the olive uh, trees, as I told you before, uh, that olive trees, because of the way they're grown in the Middle East, they, uh, they're planted, and it takes about 15 to 18 years before they really put down roots and they really begin to bud and blossom and uh, produce olives. So the first 15 years, they are tended to, they are cared for. The first 18 years, that's, they just essentially sit and become solid and put down the roots. But when that's done correctly, then they have about 40 years production after that. That's how they grow olive trees in, in the Middle East. And so they, they don't plant them and then next year go look for the olives. That would be like having a new child, uh, Sister Jew down here, a uh, new child, and she's, how old is she now? year old? Eight months, not even a year yet. It would be illogical for us to expect her, uh, you know, to manifest a real Christian life or to be able to say, Dad, why don't you put on the future home sermon and let's listen to it together. She's not there yet. But you know what? We get there little by little. We get there in a process, don't we? Line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's how we do it. So your ceiling... The point where you have risen to becomes a platform for the next generation to carry on and work in the kingdom. So, Brother Branham tells us that now this message points out the evils of this evil age and is fitting to prophesy for this evil age. Now, this message points out the evils of this evil age. Do you believe that's still true? Do you believe that this message still has the power, the ability to point out the evils of this time we live in? It sure does. Because a lot of the things that go on in our world today, Brother Branham saw in seed form. He saw in the initial stages, right? He saw that if this wasn't stopped, it's going to become a terrible thing. You listen to him talk about music. Or you listen to him talk about television. You listen to uh, him talk about the media and how, comedians and all the other things that they were moving into uncensored things. And he knew, man, if this isn't stopped, this thing is going to get really bad. He didn't have to describe how bad it actually got. You're witnesses of all of that. 
but he knew it would get that way if it began and it was not checked. And the reason it was not checked, as you know, is because Satan got a foothold and the Holy Spirit was, was or let's say it this way. People began to ignore the wisdom of the Bible. Little by little, people began to ignore the wisdom of the Bible. And now we live in a culture that is essentially almost devoid of knowledge of the Bible. Even, even, an unbe- even somebody who's not a bride member reading the Bible can glean common sense enough from it of how families should be structured. Of how common sense should operate uh, in a community and how, uh, you know, uh, you reap what you sow, for instance. I mean, there's lots of really common sense things that you can read and glean from, even if you're not a member of the bride, right? There's good things that people can know just by reading the Bible. But we live in a time now where the Bible's been laid aside. It's been disregarded. It's been... In, in, in a sense, uh, you know, the, the validity of the Bible has been undermined. The, the, the absolute, is absoluteness a word? The absolutivity of the Bible has been destroyed. It's been mocked. And so you cannot bring it now in the school and defend yourself hardly. You cannot bring it in the government now and defend yourself hardly. You cannot make that as a part of your stand hardly because it's not regarded as anything credible, Right? So, as a result, people are operating in a realm or in a world where there is uh, a, a, an increasing amount of evil because they have put away the standard that would prevent them from sliding into more darkness all the time. And Brother Bram's pointing this out to us. He said, this message points out the evil of this evil age. And it is fitting to prophecy of this, it is fitting to prophesy of this evil age. And it's my belief that the Bible has every answer for every age already written in the Bible for the believer of that age. Aren't you glad for that? A lot of times we fail to get answers because we're not reading our Bible or we're not listening to tapes, we're not listening to sermons. And I believe that everything that we have need of is written here just needs to be interpreted by the Holy Spirit. You don't need to figure it out. You need to let the Holy Spirit in you uh, interpret to you what the word actually means and how it applies to you. So there are things that uh, in this world that we live in that we have to be intentional about. We Listen to me. We don't read that, that list yet. I'll read it for you. The, there, are, there are things that you have to be intentional about. You have to actually prevent. You've got to be like, uh, you got to be like as I've given you the illustration before, you've got to be like Lot who closed the door between himself and Sodom. Right? You've got to have barriers. You've got to have boundaries that, that prevent you from integrating or allowing uh, the, the influence of Sodom to take over in your household and in your, even in your heart and even in your thinking. And so what, five things that I've got listed here, which are habits that are easily uh, slid into, but we had to become conscious of them, is to be overly critical. It's easy to be cynical about things that happen in our time, right? Come on. There's a lot of people that are awfully cynical about the government. Right? There's a lot of people that are cynical about churches. There's a lot of people that are cynical about lots of things. And, uh, uh, you know, there's no, I mean, the news is that way. It kind of depends on which news you listen to and, or be like me and don't listen to news. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a kind of a thing where everybody's got an agenda and everybody's wanting to, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, bring their point and get their point a certain way. It's easy. We live in a, a world that's filled with critical spirits. And it's important for those critical spirits not to creep into the church. And it's important for critical spirits to not creep into your household. We live in a world where Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the love of many would wax cold. 
And when you, when you, uh, when you allow your true love to wax cold, you lack empathy. And an empathy is the feeling that you have for another that motivates you to get involved in the, in the concern or the uh, catastrophe of another. And so, uh, and, and, and let me, exp- some of you are looking at me funny, so let me explain it this way. That if, if I saw somebody out in the pond who was drowning, they fell out of their boat and they're drowning, and I looked out there from the shore and I said, whoa, man, they're going to drown. What a terrible thing. What a, is, there, is there any way that somebody can do something? You're sympathetic towards that person. But when you look out there and say, wow, somebody's drowning out there. They fell out of their boat. Nobody's around. And you take off your boots, which is a good thing to do. Take out your wallet, which is the second good thing to do real fast. And you begin to swim out there yourself. Now you're empathetic. Because you're not just observing the catastrophe. You're willing to put yourself in harm's way to change the picture. Now listen, I'm glad that Jesus didn't look down from heaven and said, Whoa, man, they're all sinners. They're bound for hell. He didn't do that. He took off his robes of glory, stepped into a body of flesh, and died for us. That's true empathy. You understand what I'm saying? You will lose empathy when you lose your love, your love of God, or your cool in your relationship with God. Maintaining a consistent relationship with the Holy Spirit keeps you in tune with what, how he would see other situations. And I will tell you what, you can't have one without the other. It, it is really an important thing for you to, uh, to maintain that relationship, and that's what number two is all about. When couples disagree, or when there's disagreements in the family, there's always somebody who can talk their way uh, out of a wooden barrel. I mean, uh, there's, there's somebody there who is uneven, they're unevenly matched. And husband and wife very often are unevenly matched. The wife can be like a trial lawyer, and the husband might be one who just kind of locks up and doesn't say anything and freezes up, and he's just looking around trying to get out of there, and his blood pressure is sky high. And he goes away and he thinks about this. Listen, just because somebody in the argument might be able to talk like a trial lawyer, it doesn't mean that they're right. I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of boisterous preachers uh, bellow their way through an argument and find out at the end they were wrong. That volume really doesn't matter. The multitude of words really doesn't matter. Truth is the thing that matters. And so therefore, uh, you know, we know we should know each other well enough to say, hey, listen, I'd like to say this, and uh, you take the time and you say what you want to say. I think it is, it is reasonable for us to be sensitive to one another and how we want to discuss things. Number four, you can ignore your partner's complaints. In other words, they don't register. You don't register because as soon as you begin to hear a certain thing, you roll your eyes and say, oh, here we go again. And even if you don't roll your eyes, noticeably, in your heart, you're rolling your eyes. Watch. I just did it. And there are times when you can get into a discussion with your, with your spouse or your children, and you can be just, you're trying to, you're trying to act the part, but you just rolled your eyes, and uh, you haven't heard it at all. You're just waiting for the opportunity for them to stop so you can say what you want to say. Empathy really involves listening to the other person. It really involves you, you stopping what it is that you want to say and listen to what they're, uh, what they're really saying. And many times what somebody's really going through is not, what the word, not in line with the words that they're using. It can very often be different. And the fifth thing I think is, which is applicable for our time, that you should let, tech, let technology not rule over the amount of communication that you have. There's a lot of people who will communicate all day long on social media. And they fail to communicate well at home. 
I think it's important for us to communicate well at home. I think that's a priority. And then we have other kinds of communication. Sometimes, sometimes it's even sensible to take your communication device and store it. And, and the church goes completely silent and quiet whenever you mention that. Because, you know, that's, that's a difficult thing to do. Because a lot of people, after all, we have responsibilities, don't we? So, as I mentioned to you in the scripture, Psalm 128, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. Everything else that follows in this passage here is all predicated upon a man who fears the Lord. In other words, this is a man who wakes up in the morning and realizes Sunday, he wakes up Sunday morning and realizes, hey, the reason my family is blessed is because of God. So we're going to get all the family out of bed and we're going to go to church. Because he realizes this is not my doing it's not my success. It's not my brains. It's the blessing of God on this family that makes this family prosper. So he's going to take his family and bring them to church. That's a good thing. In other words, everything that a, a, a real man who fears God does is not because he's afraid he's going to get in trouble, but he realizes what his source of strength is. He realizes where the blessing comes from. And when he does that, when a man fears the Lord and walks in his ways, when a man does that and makes that his priority, he says, then thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. You shall see a return on your investment. And happy shalt thou be, and happy will it be with thee, and thy wife as a fruitful vine. Thy wife will be as a fruitful vine uh, by the sides of thine house. In other words, like I told you before, a vine clings, clusters, and climbs. I believe that your wife should have somebody that she feels like she can hold on to. She's got somebody that she can grab onto. And times when, when it's rough, and times when she doesn't feel really strong, and times when you know things are not going the way that she might figure, she's got somebody to cling onto. And that should be the man in that house. How many can say amen? And I believe also that uh, you know when a woman uh, when a woman has that peace about her, uh, she'll find that all kinds of things are coming out of her that she never knew was there. It's because she's got a husband who's got uh, he's he's got her back. And he's created an environment where everybody in that household can prosper and display the gifts that God has given to them. I believe that's one of the responsibilities in our, uh, in our job description. And so therefore, a household for God is a place where these three things happen and they need to happen intentionally. That this is a place where the Holy Spirit's always welcome. And listen, this becomes more challenging the farther we go on, right? The farther we go towards the end, uh, this becomes harder to, to actually accomplish that the Holy Spirit's always welcome. So therefore, we have to, as, ch- as our children grow and they become teenagers and they become adults and they become exposed to all kinds of things, uh, you know, then we, if we feel like, uh, you know what, I don't need to be as diligent because my children are teenagers, uh, then you just need to listen to what I just said. Because you need to be diligent because your children are teenagers. And there are challenges that are unique that you do not find uh, in childhood and infancy that you find when, when your children grow up. But you know what? There's still, uh, you know, I, I still feel, uh, you know, when, uh, let's say it this way because I have to be careful here. Even when your children are grown and gone, God is still, because he made you a parent, you're always still a parent. Right? Like the mother bear who never had cubs that year and she goes finds last year's cubs. Right? So, I, you know, I, I just, I have a feeling for my boys that I don't have for anybody else. 
And, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I might be concerned about, you know, how things are in our household and how are things financially, how are things, you know, uh, maritally or with the children, raising children and the challenges they have. And I like to stay in touch with that, not to, not to interfere as directly as I did uh, when they were living in my house, but I still have my hand out there. Uh, some of you grandparents are shaking your head. You, you, you have a concern because God put that con- level of concern in you. And it doesn't go anywhere. You still have, uh, you, you still have that parent part about you. I still have it. And, uh, you know, when I talk to my brothers, my natural brothers and my sister, we, I have that sibling kind of thing pop up. That spirit gets all over me. And I, we, I talk to them just like siblings, you know. And that's not how I talk to you. Uh, you wouldn't understand that at all. <laughs> Secondly, it's a place where uh, we're going we're gonna to live separate. We're going to resist Sodom. And this is where you have to be really intentional that we're going to resist Sodom. That uh, talk show hosts are not going to be our absolute. All right? The news is not going to be our absolute. Uh, we, we maintain the absolute and we enjoy the absolute uh, behind closed doors. And then a place where preparations are made to leave this world, like in the first exodus when the Egyptians uh, applied the token in their household and they got ready to leave, they were dressed to leave. Brother Branham said, our great problem our Jew, is, he said, uh, what we believe to be juvenile delinquency really is parent delinquency or home delinquency. If that's our great problem, then our great solution should be fixing what's gone wrong at home, right? That should be something we talk about. And our people got away from the things that they should have stayed with. And then he goes all the way down through, talks about Hollywood, and that's Satan's way of gradually entering in. And he's very, very good at that. He's a master at that, and he likes to make our lives miserable because of that. And so, as I mentioned to you before, this is the responsibility that's given to you. I'm, I'm skipping fast because uh, some of these things I have talked about before. But hang on now. <clears throat> there are things that are personal hindrances, though. I mean, in, in a sense, uh, you know, as I've said to you before, it'd be almost, it'd almost be logical that if you're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, it should be clear sailing. You just kind of open up your Bible, let that be your guide every day, and, you know, we're going to get there. We're going to make it. But life happens. Life gets in the way. I remember Sister Molly, uh, bless her heart, when she was living and uh, she was in an in, she was in a at home stage. She had her problem with her feet, and she was at home. And um, there was a, there was a sermon that I did here, and it was called "I Want to Go in the Rapture, but Life is in the Way," and uh, or some some kind of similar title like that, and. She uh, she didn't stream. She got DVDs that we sent her. But before she got that package of DVDs, because they bundle them up, I think, and send them out, she had heard from somebody who told somebody who told somebody else that that was a sermon worth listening to. And man, she she was she called me every single day and wanted to have that sermon. And I thought, ah, at the end of at the end of this, and then I had to find Josh Godwin, I think it was, and I had to find someone else and get Sister Kim to mail it to her, and all the way down all the steps that we had to go through to get it to her. And I thought, by the, by the time this is over, this is going to be such a letdown to her because her expectations are so high about this sermon. It's, it's, it's going to change my body, and I'll be gone. Uh, that's, the, that's the way she was looking at it. And so when I knew she got it, I called her a couple of days after that, and I said, Sister Molly, did you get it? I want to be sure you got it, following up here, and, uh, you know, is everything okay? She said, Brother Barry, it was probably the best sermon I ever heard in my life. And then she went right through it and told me everything that I'd preached, and uh, it was really, it was really uh, something to her. Now, I said that to say this, that it seems like, you know what, if we feed on, the, on, a, on a perfect word that God's given to us, and you've got the Holy Ghost, hey, 
Listen, we should, it should be clear sailing all the way through. But life gets in the way. And shame, guilt, regret, resentment, and bitterness are things that all of us have to deal with in measure through life. The last three are things that, if we're not careful, we can live in the shadow of something and they take root. They tend to hang on longer than we like. When you live your life full of regret, I knew we should have done this. I knew we should have had one more child. It would have been a girl. I knew that, uh, you know what, I, I never went to school and I never got a degree and everybody else in the family's got a degree and I never got a degree and so you resent everybody who's got a degree. If you're not careful, your attitude can cause these three to take root in your life and thereby spoil lots of things. Because you, you can rob yourself, not that anybody's robbing you, you can rob yourself of joy and peace and happiness and contentment by allowing any one of these three uh, to, to percolate in your life to the place where they take root and steal all that joy away from you. Some of you are looking at me kind of shaking your head, and I know you understand what I'm talking about. And, and you know, it's a sad thing to come to the end of your life and be full of regret or be full of bitterness. Brother Branham said, in Uniting Time and Sign, I think it is, 1963, and he said, at the end of my life, he said, well, I didn't want to be crowned with a crabby spirit at the end of my life. And be full of bitterness. My goodness, what a terrible thing. Uh, uh, but I, I, I've learned this. I've learned this over my years. That we should not expect people in their old age to be different than they were in their young age. So if you don't want to be a crabby old person, be a nice young person. You'll probably grow up into a nice old person. But all of a sudden, you know, when you blow out 65 candles, you know, wow, life is great. You blow out 65 candles, you're saying, hey, listen, who's going to pay for the health care? Right? <clears throat> you have to work at feeling good after you get 65. Let me tell you that. And I'm not there, but I know that. So I don't want to, for me, uh, and, and uh, this is the way I, I looked at raising children, I don't want to regret uh, things when I get older. Hey, you know, some people can feel ashamed or feel guilty, and it'll pass pretty quickly, right? They can get over their own guilt pretty quickly. But when it comes to regret, something that you regret in life, and you allow it to become something that turns into resentment or bitterness, uh, if, if, you're not, if you're not diligent to kind of let the Holy Spirit comb through your life, those things can hang on there and uh, really spoil your view. They can, they can erode your joy over time. So those are things that, are, that can be hindrances. And I mean, we could take sermons on every one of them. But we want to, we want to raise our kids uh, so that not only they're pointed towards the kingdom, but they're influenced by that kingdom as well. Brother Bram says about the rich young ruler, he says, And that father and mother praying constantly that their son would not turn out just ordinary, that he would be an extraordinary man. How many of you parents want your children to be extraordinary? All parents want that. And that's the ambition of any parent to do the best for their children, to educate them, give them things maybe they wasn't able to get. And that's the way I feel about my children. And so we want to, uh, we want to provide things for them. Like, for instance, uh, uh, you know, give them things maybe that they wasn't able to get or you wasn't able to get when you were young. I, I was very thankful over our growing up years that I was able to take the boys with me occasionally when I traveled and went overseas. So all of them, 
uh, had the exposure uh, of different cultures and different food and different uh, ways of worship and different ministries and so on. Peter could fill a sermon here, uh, a service time, telling his experiences about just traveling around and being, you know, in different countries and listening to all the discussions that went on. That broadens a young man's perspective. It helps a young man to realize that all the world is not like America. That whatever you want, you just go down to, to, to Walmart and pick it up. And, uh, you know, everything is kind of handed to us. In America, a lot of things are handed to you. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, ama- I'm continually amazed as I look at these pictures of uh, people out in the bush in these parts of the world uh, where I've never been, can't pronounce the names of their villages here, and they're receiving a Bible for the first time. I'm amazed at how the message has reached there long before I got there. They're already in the message. They're already in the faith. And they don't have any tools to work with in the faith. And they're believers. They're believers just like you and I. We're just coming along late and giving them the tools they need. But they've already got a sovereign revelation by God that this message is right. And they need to come out of that old denomination or that old church or that old lifestyle and come into the faith of the hour. And they don't have a Bible to read even to verify whether that's true or not. I'm amazed at that, at how God's gone before us and done this work and gathered his elect all over the world. We're just finding out where they are. They've been there for years. We're just finding out. We're not pioneering anything. We're not developing anything new here. We're just finding those believers because we're standing up and saying, hey, we got tools, we got things that will help you, and it is a great blessing to them to have that. But they were in the message long before we got there. Because God's done that sovereign work. And you know what? To be able to travel, to be able to see that, I think that's a great experience to see, uh, you know, the working of God, the sovereignty of God, uh, to be able to give, give uh, young people that experience. I think that's a great thing. And Brother Branham said uh, they're able to get things that we may not have always gotten. Because you make yourself when you're young. You establish certain things when you're young. And you set your ambitions for what you want to do uh, and what you're trying to achieve in life. And you think of it. And as you think, of course, in your mind, it's presented to your mind by an unknown something that dominates your mind. You want to tell your children, let the right thing dominate your mind. Not the wrong thing, but the right thing dominate your thinking so that you can be moved in the direction of God's perfect will in your life. But you have to remember to stay open to whatever God wants to do to change the path in your life and move you to something else. God may want you to be single all your life. God may want you to be a minister and not an engineer. God may want to uh, move you to another nation and not always live in the place that you grew up. God may have that, right? God may have that in mind. I don't know. But I will tell you what, when we as Christians, when we uh, you know, emphasize things and we try to influence our children, because many times you're God to your children, right? You're God to your children. Hey, listen. A lot, of, a lot of people can be pretty messed up about Father God because they had a lousy father. They had a father who didn't care. They had a father who was abusive. They had a father who was violent or whatever else. And so they have a kind of a mixed up idea about Father God. They can even have a mixed up idea about pastor because the father figure in their life was nothing but a terror, someone to avoid, Right? And so your job is to be an ambassador of real fatherhood if you're a man and and motherhood the same way, to be a real father and a leader uh, in a a young person's life. But as we instill things in them, we want to instill this, this mindset that, you know what, you might set your ambition on something, but you ought to say, Lord willing, with that, 
Because God may shift that up the road. He may bring you through school so far and then shift you over here because he's got something in mind that he hasn't revealed to you right now. You just need to be open to that. That's not a disappointment or a failure. That's just God's way of dealing with you as an individual. Now, no one knows that better than older people who've been through it. When you had ambitions when you were young and you had ideas and dreams and you wanted to be this or that and then all of a sudden you know things are different. You're the one that's able to tell your children that we ought to say God willing and Lord will allow this or that because God brings discipline into our lives and that discipline helps us to be mindful of God. Whenever you get disciplined by your parents in the right way, children become more mindful of God. They're going to walk a little more softly around their parents, right? Hebrews 12, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord chasteneth and scourgeth, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. In other words, that's that's not always going to continue. God's going to change the way he deals with you as you grow up. As you begin to learn and accept responsibility and you learn from the discipline he brings into your life, he's going to deal with you differently. God deals with me differently now than he did when, when I first came in the message. When I first uh, you know, became acquainted with him and knew him, let me tell you, he deals with me differently now. And he should be able to because I should be grown up. I should be more mature than what I was. And that's a result of the discipline that God brings into your life. I had a scholarship to study in any university in Canada for four years, no charge, no expense in any university. And uh, I did three years and goofed off the entire three years that I, I was in school. And when I say goof off, I'm talking with a capital G. I mean, goof off was a major. That was, I, I pretty much adopted that as my major in school. And then God got a hold of me. And I'll tell you what, the, the, the importance of that scholarship really dropped in my life because now there was a complete rearrangement of priorities in my life. Not that having a scholarship is a bad thing. It was a good thing. And even now, I, I think how silly it was that of me not to take advantage of that great opportunity that I had, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And, you know, I mean, I can't go back and be... Uh, 19 again or 21 when God got a hold of my heart. But I, I will tell you this, that when God got a hold of me and the, you know, the goofing off stopped, now my direction was changed. My priorities were changed. God dismantled everything. And I can still picture it in my mind. Listen, forgive me for a minute here. But I can picture in my mind standing on the corner up the road from our house at a, at a traffic light, a four-way. And I was standing there after I got converted and after I declined to go back to university that uh, January uh, term. And it was freezing cold out. And I'm standing on the street corner. And I got a briefcase in my hand to look important and official. But there's nothing in the briefcase. There's nothing in it, right? And, but I'm, I had a briefcase, so somebody gave it to me. And I, I'm standing on the corner. And I can still see myself. And I'm thinking, which way do I go? I have no idea where, where, if I step off the curb, where do I go? I had no direction. I had no leading. I had nothing. I had nothing in my briefcase. I had nothing at home. Uh, everything I had either had to be burnt or, 
given as evidence in some crime somewhere or another. But so it was all, everything I had was gone. And so I had nothing. I had an empty briefcase. I'm standing there and I had no idea where to go. And I remember watching the lights change three or four or five times. It went from red, yellow, green, red. And I, I, I'm thinking, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? And I, I had no idea. It was like God took me from where I was in my opinion of myself and brought me right to the bottom and said, we're going to start from scratch. And that scratch was a capital S. Now, one of the ways that God teaches us is to to make sure that we understand landmarks. Landmarks are a big deal to God. Deuteronomy 19, I've talked about landmarks in different uh, different uh, series in uh, years past. I went back and looked uh, in some of the things that I had uh, brought out here in relation to this topic. But this is a very important thing because it's found in many places in the Bible. And when you find the same thing repeated in many places in the Bible, that's because God is actually wanting you to get it no matter where you're reading. Are we Okay. So if you're an Old Testament guy, then you're probably going to you know, encounter it back here. If you're a New Testament guy, probably going to get it up here too. And if you're not a Bible reader, Brother Bram's probably going to say something about it if God wants you to get it because this is important to God. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land, that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Now remember, back in the old days, uh, Israel's, their, their possession was the land, Right? Their tribe was given a piece of land. And the, and the parcels of that land were divided up among the families. Families divided that up among their sons as the fathers died. And so they carved up the farm and gave a portion to their sons. But that was their land. That was their inheritance. That was their promised land. That was God's inheritance for them. And they were commanded not to move the landmark that defined a person's land. That was their inheritance. All right? None of us know what that means, really. Think of it this way. Our inheritance is not physical land. Our inheritance is the Word of God. Right? That's our land. That's our, our Bible is our promised land. Are we okay with that? How about if somebody came along and moved the goalposts for you and said, you don't need to be baptized now in Acts 2.38. You can go to Matthew 28.19. I mean, there are words in red. You know what somebody did? They just moved the goalpost. They took the landmark and moved it from here to there. God don't like that. God don't like that at all. So you can't take the word and reinterpret it or re put it in a different place. It would be just the same as going over and somebody's got markers in their, on their land, on their property, and you pick up those markers and move them 20 feet this way and put them down over here and say, now this is my land right here. Hey, you'd be, you'd be the same as shaving off the promises in the scripture here. How about if somebody came along and said, hey, there's only three chapters in the book of Malachi, not four. They would have essentially moved your markers. God doesn't like that. And I want you just to hold to every word, Brother Branham said, so that you'll be able to understand that we might get a grip on God's word because it's essential that we do this. How many would agree that it's now, now more important for us to have a grip on God's word than it was even years ago? Right? It's getting worse. It's getting more slippery. It's getting steeper. It's getting more difficult all the time. So you need to have feet like hind's feet. Remember the hind? The hind has the hoofs that grab onto the rock, and if the rock is not solid enough, it'll even crush the rock. The hind grabs onto the rocks because it needs to get out on the cliffs, because the bears are going to eat it if they don't. Bears don't have hind's feet. Bears have bear's feet. 
And bears cannot get out on those narrow cliffs and those passageways, but the, but the hinds can. And the, and the mountain goats and the white mountain goats, they get out there. I've seen them. I've seen them do it. And they get out there and they get out on those little skinny ledges and they're looking back at the big fat bear and they realize, ha, ah, there ain't no bear going to come out here. Because God made him to get out there on those passages. Now, it's, I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says in Second Samuel. God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect, and he maketh my feet like hind's feet, and setteth me upon high places. So when danger comes, God doesn't always take away the danger, but he gives you the ability to be able to cling on in a place where not many other people can cling on. And now, now we need to use our hinds feet to cling on to the promises because you're going to need them. And I will tell, say this, we're going to need them more more than ever as we go forward. And you didn't need to come to church to hear that, but that's absolutely the truth. We're going to need to hold on even tighter as we go forward. Here's Brother Branham in the prayer line, 1953. You're awfully nervous, aren't you, lady? And that devil makes you that way? That's the devil that makes you that way? And you think there's many things wrong, but nervousness is what the main thing is. It makes you feel like everything's wrong. How many can say amen? You don't need to say amen. Like a cloud, that, that's a wave, like a breath moving over you. He's just like a cloud that moves over you. And you get scared. And many times in the evening when the sun is sinking low, you get real weary, don't you? And many times you think you're going to lose your mind. But you're not. But you're not. You'll last. Look at these words. I love these words. You'll last. You'll last. You're all right. God's giving you something to hold on with. You'll, you'll survive. Fear not. You're going to be all right. You've often prayed and wanted a place where you could think you could set your foot to start from. And this is your footstep. Go now and be healed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get your foot wrapped around a promise and just hold on to that and look for the next promise and wrap your foot around that. Just take it one day at a time, one step at a time, and you'll get there. Fear not. You'll get there. You may feel like you're part of the slowest movement in the world. You may feel like nobody cares, nobody knows, nobody is, nobody is uh, you know, concerned about me. You may feel all of that. But let me tell you, there's somebody who's given you the ability to hold on to a promise and just get through. I've talked to some of you that uh, felt like, you know, hey, there ain't no way, ain't no way. And yeah, you're still here. So there was a way. We couldn't see it at the time, but there was a way. And the whole way is very often not displayed in front of us, but the first step is. And the first step usually is a promise. And you grab hold of that promise and hang on tight. Hang on as tight as you can. As God's given you a, a paw that holds on to the promise real tight. Nobody holds on to a promise tighter than a believer does. And then over to the next one and over to the next one and all the way through. And one day, one day, we're going to get off that cliff and we're going to be on the other side in greener pastures. The enemy is going to study our strategy with the word, Brother Branham said. And Satan studied that all out so perfectly till when he came to Eve, he had the best strategy that he could use on her, and that was to reason with the word. And if Satan studied her, let me tell you, Satan is also interested in studying you. Because if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, and if you're not in a place where you're really clinging on to the promises and you're focused on that, you cannot be strong enough to stay the winds that are blowing across our times to sweep you into where the world is going. You're not strong enough. You got quiet on me. Let me say it again. There's not a one of us who can lay the word aside and make it to glory on your own. There's not a one of us who are strong enough to do that. There's not a one of us who are spiritual enough to do that. There's not a one of us who are smart enough to do that. 
You need his help every step of the way. And listen, here's Brother Branham's example here. He's out in a church and he says now, the pastor says, Mr. Branham, I want you to meet my wife. And I've never seen such a thing in all my life. Her hair cut real short and a boyish bob. And uh, she had makeup on, thick on her mouth and a dress like she could have been poured into it. Long fingernails that looked like she'd been bleeding on her fingers. And I said, is that your wife? And he said, oh, yes, yeah, she's a saint. And I said, well, she looks to me like a haint in the way that she got blue and stuff all over her eyes. What's the matter? What's the matter? What's the problem here? These are people who are Pentecostal people. This was a Pentecostal church that he was in. And what's the problem here? These are not people who woke up and said, how, how worldly can we be? How wrong can we be and still be called Christians? These are people who are believing they're right. If this man was ashamed of his wife, he wouldn't be introducing her to Brother Branham. Uh, he'd be hiding her in the back somehow, right? Honey, go out in the car and wait till I get there. What's the matter, Brother Branham says? They got away from the old landmark, and you get away from the Bible. You get away from the leading of the Holy Ghost. And it went out like the rest of them did, and that's exactly what's the matter. And he said, do you think that preacher could have preached against that? you think that preacher would have the liberty to preach against the things his wife is actually doing? And she's up here playing the piano and, and living that way and looking that way and dressing that way. And then he's going to get up and preach against that? Let me tell you, he might get away with one sermon. But that's it. So what's the problem here? The problem is not that they're bad people. The problem is they got away from the old landmark. You can't move the landmarks and be honored by God. Here he says in Proverbs, uh, again, 22, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Deuteronomy 19, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark. Here it is in the Jewish Bible. You are not to move your neighbor's boundary marker from the place where people put it long ago in the inheritance, soon to be yours in the land that Adonai your God is giving you to possess. You can't do that because God will bless where uh, the people who stand for those uh, landmarks and respect those landmarks and respect those boundaries absolutely where they are. Deuteronomy chapter 27 uh, is also the same scripture. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. You get, you're getting the idea that God likes to say this often because it's a big deal uh, to him. And then in Mark chapter 7, when they came along to Jesus and they said, well, you know what, uh, the word means this, but, uh, you know, Moses said this, but we believe it this way. And Jesus says, hey, hey, guys, uh, you moved the boundary marker. That's not what the word says at all. And Jesus gives it to him. I mean, I've read this passage many times in Mark chapter 7. You know the, the story. All right, here's Brother Branham. He says, <clears throat> Jehoshaphat, he's seen the results from his father when he served the Lord and when he didn't serve the Lord. Jehoshaphat did. So all of that together, Jehoshaphat purposed in his heart to serve the Lord and to cling to the things that his father David did at the beginning. Jehoshaphat has the option, he has the opportunity to see how God deals with a man when he serves the Lord and fears the Lord. And when a man doesn't. So he purposed in his heart to serve the Lord and cling to the things that his father did at the beginning. That's a great decision. That's a great decision. And we want our young people to make those kinds of decisions. In other words, he went back to the old landmark. And it would be good for all of us to go back to the old landmarks. Now, here's an interesting thing. We are a progressive people, right? We are people who are always looking forward because by faith we're going here. We're going to be in a marriage supper. We're going, you know, to the change of our bodies all ahead of us. We look constantly looking ahead. This is going to happen. This is going to come. And yet God is reminding us that <clears throat> God's put boundary markers back here at your father's place. 
And these boundary markers, and if we apply it to the word, these are principles that are found in the word of God <clears throat> that will help you no matter how far up the road you are. So don't forget, don't forget what God placed back here to guide a next generation to where they needed to be, to live within those boundary markers. And no matter how far up the road you are, God put those boundary markers there for us to observe them and to obey them. And that's the way you'll prosper. And God will bless anyone who will go back to the old landmark of the Bible and start from the Bible, not according to theology. <clears throat> had a pastor call me today. And, um, I mean, it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking what he told me. Because he told me what he preached Sunday. And then this person uh, who was an officer in their, in their church was doing something absolutely vulgar and contrary to what he had preached Sunday, put it on social media, and <clears throat> flaunting it. And I thought, <clears throat> wow. It's not, like you gotta, it's not like this person had to go back to Brother Branham's day to figure out where the landmark was. They heard it last Sunday. <clears throat> the landmark was, uh, you know, vocalized last Sunday. And you're dealing with an attitude where someone can look at that and, and in the face of the minister and in the face of the standard, in the face of the landmark, just say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I thought, wow, how sad. You know, after you give your life in ministry and you give your life in preaching and laying out things, make them as simple as you possibly can, driving all over kingdom come, flying all over kingdom come, and trying to do what you can to establish the, the, the landmarks and the boundaries so that people are clear. I cannot make you do anything. I really can't make you do anything but I can tell you where the boundary lines are. I can tell you where the markers are. And then from there, from there, the whole response ought to be one of obedience. Let me finish and say this. David says it this way. Lord, send out thy light and thy truth and let them lead me. Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. And let them bring me unto thy holy hill, into thy tabernacle. Let truth bring me. Let the light of the hour bring me. Let, let that sh illuminate my path. And then Psalm 25. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art, uh, thou art the God of my salvation. And on thee do I wait all, all the day. Psalm 25 again. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. And, 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 and unto such as keep his covenants and his promises. Your path. Your path is mercy and truth. So therefore, God understands our, I wrote this, God understands our need to know truth. And that's what having landmarks, that's what having an absolute is all about, is that we need to know what the truth is. If, if we're going to pray Psalm 43, Lord, send thy light and thy truth and let them lead me, then we've got to know what truth is, right? And then from there, once you know what the truth is, Here's your responsibility. You ought to teach your kids to pray this way, but secretly you ought to go and pray it also yourself and say, Lord, I'm your child, and your children's actions should be characterized by, say it, obedience. The characteristic of children should be respect and obedience, right? And you can teach your children to pray this way, but it doesn't hurt for us to pray this way as well. That I'm your child, and children's actions should be characterized by obedience, and if I'm expected to obey, I've got to have orders. So I want to know I'm committed to obedience. My pathway is clear. 
If I'm committed to obedience and my pathway is clear, then Lord, now, now this falls on you. If you're leading me this way and you're making this clear to me, then Lord, I'm just walking in obedience to you. And these are things that I'm doing in response to the light that you're giving me and the word that you're showing me. And it's not my thought and it's not my idea. Hey, listen, if, if I'm a believer and you're a believer and God lays something on your heart and it's really from God, you should be able to tell me and I would be in agreement with that, right? Right? Because the same spirit that's in you is the same spirit that's in me. Right? And then I should be able to take that and bring it to the church and say, hey, God did this in a person's life. And all of us would agree because we're all filled with the same spirit. But when you take something that you think God has said and bring it to everybody and everybody says, oh, I don't know about that. At least it would cause you to reevaluate, right? At least it will slow down and say, hey, well... Maybe I need to check that by the word and go back to the word. That's, that's a sensible, logical thing that any believer would do. Hey, our commitment is to truth. Our, our response to truth should be obedience. But to me, that's why we have church. That's why we have fivefold ministers. That's why we have uh, the messages given to us. That's why we have the abundance of truth that's been provided for us. Because God wants you to know what truth and light really is. He wants you to be clear. He wants you to be, he wants, you, he wants it to be bright in your life. He wants you to know. He doesn't want you to be like me standing on the street corner with an empty briefcase and having no idea where to put my foot next. He doesn't want you to be like that at all. God didn't want me to be like that. But I was like that until I knew him. And God was teaching me that now your next step, I'm going to lead you. The next step, I'm going to show you where to put your foot. And that's really what he wanted to show me. That's what he really wanted to do. But I will tell you this. God wants to guide you. And God wants you to respond in obedience. But light and truth is the way he's going to show you. God is not going to lead you contrary to his word. That's really true. If you want to achieve shalom in your home, shalom in your heart is where it all starts. And I think we had to be intentional about making that the priority. And then you watch that percolate out into your family and percolate out. You get all those families together and it begins to percolate out in the church. I'll tell you what, you've got a people that are believing God. Brother Bram says there should be no hindrance at all to what God can do among us. And we get all those believers together. We should come expecting that. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't start here. It doesn't start because the song leader just hit the right song uh, in, in the first moments of, of uh, the song service on Sunday. It starts because you came and brought that with you, your little little part. And then it adds to another part, adds to another part. And hey, hey, we're going to have church today. Let's stand to our feet. That's the expectation of the children of God. And God understands our need for truth. We don't want to hear error. We don't want to have error preached to us. We don't want to have Brother Barry's ideas preached to us. We want to know what the truth is because truth and light are the things that lead God's children. Truth and light are the things that show God's children the way. Right? That's exactly right. So the coach is not going to do it. The Pope's not going to do it. And the government's not going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. Truth and light are going to be your guide. I thank God for truth and light. I thank God we've got such a, uh, uh, you know, a great abundance of truth. We got a lot. We got a lot. We got so much we can give out a lot. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Amen. Amen? So, what a great challenge it is for us. What a great challenge. Let's sing that little chorus. The more that I surrender, the lighter my load. Let's sing that this evening here before we're dismissed together. More that I surrender, the lighter my load. More 
myself For He lifts me up Every day I live Lord, I love You more Oh, the more that I surrender The lighter my load And the more that I release my cares The more He takes control Every day I live, Lord, I love. One more time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, the more that I surrender, the lighter my load. And the more that I release my cares, the more He takes control. Every day I live, Lord, I love you more, and through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Yes, I've learned to trust in God through it all, oh, through it all, I've learned upon His Word. Sing it again now, sing that chorus. Trust in Jesus, I've learned to trust in God through it all, yes, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. His own 
He sees each tear that falls And He hears me when I call Father, no matter how much the enemy would fight Every one of us, Lord, desire to have a peace in our heart Something, Lord, that we can rest upon every day of our lives Whether we're in church or whether we're in home Whether we work or learn Wherever we are, Lord, you are a God of peace. And Lord, you died that we might enjoy that peace, even in this world. Father, now tonight we pray that we might be intentional as husbands and fathers. And we might be intentional as mothers and guides of the home. The Lord, in our teenage years, for those that are listening, Lord, that we might be intentional in making decisions and choices that move us closer to the kingdom and the will of God. We pray, dear God, that you would bless this assembly, Lord. May our, may our homes be always a place where you are welcome. May our homes be a place, Lord, where you can move in the hearts of each one. Father, we pray, Lord, for those who are sick tonight. We remember Sister Emma. Remember Henry and Miles, Lord, and all of those, Lord, who are grieving tonight. The different ones, Lord, that are away. We commit them to you. Believing, Lord, that you care about all that we go through. And Lord, we pray for Cohen as well. And ask, oh God, that you would bind up his wounds and minister to him, Lord, I pray. Touch him, Lord, and we place him into the hands of the great physician because we know, Lord, you care about what all of us face. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bless these members, Lord, of our assembly tonight and all who are listening. And until we meet again, Lord, may you be our portion. May we... Put the Lord before us in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray and for your glory. Amen and amen. Thank the Lord. We're going to sing him one more time as you go. If you don't mind remembering Cohen, uh, he has an injury that uh, is going to require uh, some attention. And we're just praying that the Lord will bring healing to him. He needs that touch. And so if you don't mind, just remember him in prayer. And uh Sister Rachel and Brother Ben are uh, making sure he's tested and so forth and going through that process. So if you don't mind just remembering him in prayer, uh, that would be uh, really helpful for the family. Let's sing it as we go tonight. God bless you. He knows my name. I call